Come Follow Me with Brie, episode 180, Glorifying the Father. Hello, everyone. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so sorry that this is a couple of days late. Uh, The first day that I was trying to prep and get it out to you guys, we had a little bit of family drama and I got caught up in it. I'm sure you all know what that is like, where you just can't think about anything else other than the thing that's going on. And I just wasn't able to quite uh, figure everything out. Um, Anyway, and then the next two nights, we have a puppy and this puppy was having some tummy troubles and was up so much for the last two nights. And actually I had to get up with her six times last night. I ended up just sleeping on the couch next to her. And every time she would whine, I would take her out, which normally I wouldn't do if she was all healthy and happy, but she is a little sick right now. So I'm really sleepy right now, but I'm really excited for what we are about to talk about. We are going to talk about the intercessory prayer in John chapter 17. This prayer was given by the Savior right before he entered the Garden of Gethsemane. But why is it called the intercessory prayer? An intercessor is someone who intercedes, mediates, advocates, or pleads in behalf of another. So obviously, who is our intercessor? Jesus Christ. He is the one who intercedes, mediates, advocates, and pleads in your behalf. In this prayer, he specifies who he is speaking about. It says in verse 20, Neither pray I for these alone, meaning his disciples that were with him, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. So all of us. This whole prayer is dedicated to his purpose. And his purpose was to glorify the Father and to help bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man, which is the Father's work and glory. Now, There are so many things that we could talk about in this prayer, but I want to talk about one aspect of this prayer, and it's the very first thing that Christ says. He says, starting in verse 1, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son may also glorify thee. So how does this glorifying happen? In verse 2, As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. So how does the Son glorify the Father? By providing a way so that you can have eternal life. And remember that eternal life is not just being resurrected, it's exaltation. It's living the same quality and type of life as our Father in heaven. It is eventually and ultimately becoming heavenly parents ourselves to spirit children. This concept is taught in Moses in chapter 1, verse 39. For behold, this is my work and my glory to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. That is God's life purpose. And ultimately, our aim is to have the same life purpose as Heavenly Father. That is why we are here on earth, to use our agency in a way that is aligning ourselves with the work and glory of God so that eventually we can do the same things that He has done. God's work and glory involved the creation of spirit children with our Heavenly Mother. Those spirit children are now on a journey to receive bodies to learn to exercise agency here on earth. The goal being to hopefully use our agency in a way that is helping us to align ourselves with the work and glory of God to decide whether we are going to choose based on short-term personal perspective or choose based on trust that God's perspective is infinitely superior. Or it being agency, we can also choose the opposite, or we can choose to stray a little bit from that. So if that is the work and glory of God and we are intended to become like him, then 
that also should be our work and our glory, which says a whole lot about our ultimate purpose and how our lives on earth are intended to reflect that purpose. Our purpose is to have posterity, to perpetuate the family of God. Right now, the command to multiply and replenish the earth is still in force. We are creating our first personal posterity in partnership with God. We get to help create bodies. And then we have the responsibility for the love and nurture of those that we have been entrusted with. The family proclamation says marriage between a man and a woman is ordained of God and that the family is central to the creator's plan for the eternal destiny of his children. All human beings, male and female, are created in the image of God. Each is a beloved spirit son or daughter of heavenly parents, and as such, each has a divine nature and destiny. Gender is an essential characteristic of individual, pre-mortal, mortal, and eternal identity and purpose. In the pre-mortal realm, spirit sons and daughters knew and worshipped God as their eternal father and accepted his plan by which his children could obtain a physical body and gain earthly experience to progress toward perfection and ultimately realize their divine destiny as heirs of eternal life. So let's define eternal life a little bit more precisely. We've got one broad definition to live the quality and type of life of our Father in heaven. And the Father himself defines his work and glory of that eternal life that he has as bringing to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. But how do we get there and how do we become capable of that? We have to know and understand our Father in heaven. And that's not something that we're going to fully accomplish here on earth, but that is our objective, to gradually know him better. In verse 3 of this chapter, Christ says, And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Knowing God. Knowing Jesus Christ. Why is that central to eternal life? You know the saying that in order to understand someone, or before you judge someone, you need to walk a mile in their shoes? That idea implies that we can know someone much more completely when we experience their experiences. And I think that's what we're doing here with God. We are gradually aligning our work and glory with His by keeping His commandments. And as we align our our work on the earth with His, we're getting to know Him better. We're gradually becoming like Him. We're gradually being led through experiences wherein we make our own work and glory the same as His to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man, of our children, of the people that we have stewardship over, so that someday our perspective will align with His. The submission of our will to the Father is the whole point. That is what Christ spent his earthly ministry doing, showing us that our entire objective should be to submit to the will of the Father. And doing so brings us closer to knowing and understanding the character of God. As President Nelson would say, let God prevail. In John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, it says, And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. So how do we get to know Heavenly Father? How do we get to know Jesus Christ? By keeping their commandments. And isn't that the conundrum of humanity? It is the natural consequence to feel as though one doesn't know God if they aren't keeping his commandments. And yet, that is the reality of so many who have a desire to know God, wanting to know, but aren't willing to keep his commandments first. People tend to think, I want to know God, to know that he's there, to feel him in my life, understand him and his ways, and then I will keep the commandments. But that's not how it works. We need to have faith first. Keep commandments first. 
The natural consequence of not keeping God's commandments is that you won't be capable of knowing God. And the natural consequence of keeping his commandments is a gradual growth to knowing God. We acquire faith and then eventually knowledge of God by experimenting on the word of God, by keeping his commandments and then watching him fulfill his promises, seeing the evidence of God in our lives through keeping his commandments. However, Elder Bernard Brockbank drew a distinction between believing that there is a God and knowing God. He said in his talk that's entitled Knowing God, many believe that there is a God. Many say that they know there is a God, but many do not act like they know God. There is a great difference in believing or knowing that there is a God and in knowing God. When we claim that we know God, it bears a great responsibility. That distinction was super interesting to me. You can believe or know that there is a God, and also, thanks to agency, you can choose to not keep his commandments anyway. But you can't know God, understand his character, come closer to coming into alignment with his perspective if you don't keep his commandments, which makes so much sense because when we aren't keeping his commandments, it's really easy to logic our way into belittling or disagreeing with his commandments. We can kind of go back to our analogy about walking in the shoes of God. If we aren't obeying his commandments, if we aren't becoming more like him, we're not aligning with his perspective. And so it makes sense that we wouldn't understand him. Elder Brockbait continues, Knowing God is related to keeping his commandments. Knowing God must come by direct revelation from God. You cannot know by the power of flesh and blood. The Lord has indicated that the gates of hell cannot prevail against revelation from him to any one of his children who desires to know the living God and know the living Jesus Christ. This is available by divine commitment and by divine will that for anyone desiring to know God, the eternal father, and to know his son, Jesus Christ, God is under commitment that the gates of hell cannot prevail against that commitment. And it will be revealed through the power and principle of revelation direct from God to the one desiring to receive that information. All through the life of Jesus Christ, he showed his knowledge of the living God and his loyalty and allegiance to God. Jesus Christ loved his heavenly father. He even went so far to say, my father and I are one. I came down from heaven to do the will of my father. Knowing God does not solve life's problems, but gives purpose and strength to master them. Jesus, with his knowledge of his heavenly father, still had his problems to meet and work out. The answers to knowing God, the eternal father, are found in and through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In order to know God, the eternal Father, we must receive that knowledge through the program and through Jesus Christ, who is the mediator between God and man. Jesus also gave this information, which is often repeated and known well by many. He said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The light of life is divine light that permeates and radiates in the human soul and brings out the godlike qualities and attributes of godliness. The light of life is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of love. The light of life has within it the glorious promises of God of eternal life in his heavenly kingdom. The light of life will bring divine truth and happiness and peace to a troubled heart. The light of life brings divine light into the problems and troubles of this life and helps turn life problems into stepping stones to eternal progression and to developing a godlike character. So keeping everything we've talked about in mind, let's finish with a reading of the intercessory prayer. Listen to it as though you were hearing the Savior pray for you individually and for your family, because he did. Starting in verse 1. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son may also glorify thee. 
as thou hast given him power over the flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest me them, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are mine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and thou in me, that they may be perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast left me. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me, and I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. The Savior's intercessory prayer reminds me that I was sent here for a purpose. I wasn't sent here to float along and do whatever I want. I was sent here because He has a work for me to do. He has a work for you to do. That we may be one in purpose with Him and with the Savior to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.